welcome to The Divorce Social with me, Samantha Baines, changing the conversation around divorce. This show is sponsored by Penguin in the Room. Penguin in the Room is an award-winning arts, marketing and social media management company. If you want to jazz up your socials and have someone Instagram and tweet for you, then here's your answer. Go to www.penguinintheroom.com. As always, hit subscribe to make sure you're updated about new episodes. And we love to hear from you on social media at DivorcePod and at Samantha Baines. You can also email us all the infos on our website, thedivorcesocial.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello, I am joined by. Jackie Smith, former Home Secretary and MP, 2020 Strictly contestant, political commentator and host of podcast For The Many. Jackie, welcome. Hello. Good morning. Lovely to talk to you. (laughs) Thanks for coming on. I'm so excited. There's so much to cover. (laughs) Oh, gosh, that sounds a bit ominous. No, I'm I'm really looking forward to it. And um, I love your podcast. Yeah, let's crack on. I <laughs> love it. I, li- I like that you're sort of taking a, a stance already. You're like, let's get moving with this. I'm a political commentator. I'm used to being fast and having opinions on things. I like it. I've got some sound bites ready for you. No, no problem. <laughs> ideal, ideal. So you are divorced. Nearly, very nearly. Oh, so not legally yet. <laughs> not quite, no, Half halfway there. Yeah. It takes a long time, doesn't it? Well, it does. Yeah. We're doing it reasonably amicably and as far as possible, minus lawyers. So um, that does take a bit longer, but it's probably a slightly gentler process. Yeah. So how do you feel being a divorced? Uh, We'll let you have the title, even though it's not legal yet. How do you feel (laughs) being a divorced person? I feel sad. Uh, It's never, I mean, is there anybody who comes on and says, oh, I really, really always aim to be a divorcee? I doubt it. But I had been married for 30 years when I separated from my husband. And it was the most difficult thing I've ever gone through. And I had always pictured myself as somebody who would, you know, grow old with him. So it's been enormously 
difficult, frankly, in terms of the sort of change to my life, the change to my expectations. The thing that you, you know, I'm sure everybody says, but you don't really realise until you're in that position is that, of course, you're not just losing the past, you're losing the future as well when you get divorced because everything you thought was going to happen, everything you assumed about yourself and your your relationship and your what you were going to be doing and your retirement, etc., also goes at the same time as you as you get divorced. Yeah, difficult, I think, would be the best word. It's interesting you said that you imagine you'd grow old together because I think a lot of us have that. I had this image. I don't know if you had an image of growing old together, but I had this image of me and my ex-husband, you know, grey hair, sitting at a kitchen table, reading the paper, you know, having a cup of coffee, kind of just really content in a lovely house that is our kind of dream home. Did you have an image in your mind of growing old together? Oh, totally I did. And it was partly informed by my mum and dad, who had a very, very long and happy marriage that only ended when my dad died, which happened just after I separated from my husband. So that was a pretty dreadful time. But um, it no, it involved all of those things. Funnily enough, it also involved travelling and the we can go off and do this and we can do the other and we can spend more time together and we can have grandchildren. And um, I mean, I could still have grandchildren. But, you know, I could sort of picture us with our grandchildren. And so it's all of those things that that have gone. And, and I suppose, you know, without sort of focusing too much on the sad, but this point about I didn't have a, you know, I didn't get married in church, but I'd always thought that it was, you know, till death us do part. And as I say, my, my dad died. And one of the almost the most heartbreaking times for me in terms of the divorce was the point at which he was very ill and my mum was caring for him. And I just thought, I'm never going to have that care either for myself or for or to be able to offer it to my ex-husband. It almost felt like I'm not going to be able to complete this project by getting to the point where we come to the end of our lives. And I found that at the time, I found that so difficult because I had seen it as a lifetime project, you know, and then all of a sudden it wasn't anymore. It's really interesting that you say, see it as a project as well, because I can totally, I think, you know, we're both career women, if you want to put it like that in the 80s way. Um, and, you know, we we do a lot and we love our work. So I can definitely relate of like, I have a something that I'm working on right now and I need to see it to the end. And I think I can, yeah, I can totally see how marriage kind of seems like that. And then when it's cut off, you know, whether you expected it or not, it feels unfinished, doesn't it? So how how do you go about finishing the project when you're not with the other person? Isn't that so difficult? And I think the other thing we probably share because we work so much is an idea that we're powerful in terms of problem solving and that if something goes wrong, we can sort it out. And I know that, you know, that was my approach. My, I mean, we broke up, but it took quite a long time because we separated. And then I, I sort of thought, I can sort this out. If we work hard enough, we can sort this out. You know, I kept trying. We had counselling, et cetera, et cetera. And 
coming to the point where I had to accept that this was not a traditional work problem that if only I worked hard enough, I could solve was a really important, but really difficult time for me. And one of the things that has changed me the most, this understanding that sometimes there are things in your life that you just have to accept and live with, that you can't solve, that you can't put right. You know, a lot of my life is about, let's solve that problem. Let's change that thing. But this is something, the most important thing in my life, and I actually couldn't control it. And coming to that understanding is enormously difficult, but actually is the absolutely key thing for getting over the breakup of that, in my case, 30 year relationship. You know, all of it, it had been more of my life than it hadn't been of my life because I, I was married when I was 24. So not being able to solve it was something really difficult for me to come to terms with. It's funny as well, because my dad died just before I, well, sort of in between my weddings. So I had a small wedding so he could be there. And then he died before our big celebration. So I was also going through the, um, you know, dad dying grief. Mm. And I think grief taught me that as well. You've got to accept it. What was it like for you having these two big life occasions at the same time? It's interesting, isn't it? I mean, I had some counselling, which I recommend, by the way, it was recommended to me and I recommend it in terms of finding somebody that you can talk to who has to listen. No, that sounds dreadful because you're paying them. That sounds dreadful. But but it's true. It's true though, isn't it? You talk <laughs> a lot to your friends, your fa your family, and actually you should accept that when they want to talk to you. But after a while you think, I don't only want to be talking about my pain to these people that I love and who love me. So I had some counselling and some therapy. And um, the thing that was most striking to me was she asked me about my dad and asked me to talk about him. And I was more upset about that than I was actually about the divorce. And I, and she said to me, you know, you, you're sort of covering the grief that you feel for losing your father in the grief that you're feeling for the divorce. And to work through some of that and to realize that was really quite important, I think. And, um, I mean, you know, it was, it was dreadful. It was awful. It was too, you know, the two men who'd been most important in my life, sorry, who went at the same time. And, um, that just, you know, and that, um, uh, you can't really say that one made the other worse because they were both so awful that, um, it wasn't that there's not like a competition of, oh my God, which was the worst one, but it was more to handle, uh, all in one go. When you said the two men in your life going, that's exactly what I felt when my dad died and I, I split up. I was like, all of these men I've sort of depended on. Yeah. You know, and I still had my mum and she's incredible and my sister and all my friends. But it was something about these two really sort of big male figures in my life had all of a sudden gone. 
And then I've mentioned this before, but then my cat Albert died. And that tipped me over the edge just because Albert was a boy too. And then it sort of bring back all these feelings about losing all the men. And I was like, all the men around me are disappearing, <laughs> even the cat. And yeah. um, and I mean, I laugh about it now, but it, like it upset me. It really sort of triggered those emotions that I'd felt sort of, I think it was about a year before uh, when the, after the cat died. Um, and yeah, it definitely felt like this gaping hole of like all the masculine in my life had um, had gone. So how do you go about filling that hole? Mm. That sounds a well, bit, could like yeah, be a bit rude, couldn't that's it? A bit sm- but- it's a bit smutty. <laughs> <laughs> you go dating. That's what Should I we get on to dating in a bit? <laughs> I mean, seriously, of course, the first thing that you have to do is to recognize that you can love men, but you can also be alone and you can be strong enough on your own. I mean, my sister and my friends would probably say I still haven't got to that point, but I'm better than I was. You know, I I had never not been in from the age of 16. I had never not been in a relationship. I hadn't lived on my own from the time that I was 24. In fact, I'd never lived on my own because I'd lived at home before that. So the first thing I think you've got to do is to understand that you can do those things. And then was I completely ready when I started dating? No. Um, (laughs) But I like men. I like them in my life. I think they're attractive some of them. And um, so then you get to, then you get to the point where you think, okay, well, let's find a new one. Um, and that's where we get to the dating. Well, should we, before we delve into dating, <laughs> should we go back a little bit into living on your own? Because I was yeah. the same. I'd lived in like house shares. I'd lived with my parents and then I just lived with my husband. And I never lived on my own before. And it's a bit of a shock. I love it now, but it's a bit of a shock to the system. How did you deal with that? Did you have to get a new property or did you stay in the house? I was very lucky that I stayed in our house and I've now bought my husband out of the house. So it's all mine. But I'm, you know, nobody could call me handy around the house. I think it would be fair to say. So some of these things are just so triggering, aren't they? Like, I can remember only about a week after my husband uh, left, the washing machine broke down, right? I was beside myself because I sort of thought, well, when I lived with him, I would have just said to him, can you have a look at the washing machine? And then if he hadn't been able to mend it, he would have got the menders in. And all of a sudden that responsibility fell on me. You know, I had to, I got some new pictures and I wanted to put them up and I had to find a hammer. In fact, one of the liberating things I did was to go out and buy my own slightly girly toolkit so that I'd got my own hammer. (laughs) I mean, the extent to which it's been used in the last three years is pretty negligible. But at least I thought to myself, look, some very basic things. I've got a screwdriver and I've got a hammer. I can sort of survive. And then, of course, the other thing I realised is, 
there are loads of people you can pay to do things. So um, the sense of satisfaction that I got when I rang up the local washing machines <laughs> repairers and they came round and took the 50p out of the, the, the pipe and it worked again was sort of one of the first moments when I thought, oh my God, I might actually be able to manage to do this. I strongly recommend if you're in this position, you've got to sort of get your house back because it's lovely to stay in the same place that you've always lived in. But of course, it was yours together. So there's an element of, you know, the practical things like the bits he wants to take and the bits you want to keep. And then there's just the making it your place and tidying stuff up and getting control and putting your own pictures up and getting new furniture because some of it's gone with him. And anyway, some of it you sort of think, right, well, now is the time to get rid of that and get something new and create that space. And, you know, one of the things my sister said after about after a few months is she came and she said, you have now made this house your own. And it felt so important to me and I felt comfortable in it. I still don't like living on my own. I mean, I'm lucky now that one of my um, sons is living with me, but at least I now know that I can do it. And I sort of always thought I would never be able to. Yeah, I, I can definitely <laughs> relate to all of them making the house your own. I mean, I've talked about this a lot, but I basically painted everything pink. I painted the bathroom <laughs> and the kitchen pink. <laughs> I had a pink renaissance. I bought a toolkit, just like you were saying. I bought a toolkit and it is pink. And my uncle took the piss out of me. <laughs> but I, but I, put, I put shelves up myself and drilled into the wall. And I the, the euphoria I felt at myself. But I do think there is that thing, isn't there, of knowing when you can't do it yourself. I think I had a big thing after we split up of... I'm, I have to do everything myself now and I can't call in the experts. You know, I have to fix the washing machine myself. I have to learn how to do all these things. It actually really stressed me out. And I remember one occasion when I was trying to dismantle an Ikea uh, unit to because it was all tatty and, and dead uh, to take to the oh no, maybe I was selling it. Anyway, I had to dismantle this Ikea unit and I just couldn't do it. And I cried. I sat on the spare room floor with this unit that I just couldn't pull apart. And I was like, I'm not even putting it together. I'm just pulling it apart. And I cried out of frustration because I knew that he would have been able to do it. And in yeah. that moment, it felt like he'd won or something. Yeah. And then I calmed down and remembered that you can ask other people to help you do things. And Absolutely. yeah, definitely that's a revelation. <laughs> <laughs> you can ask people, you can pay people, yeah. people will offer, take them up on it. Uh, it's doable. And, and that's the, I think when you first are on your own, you sort of can't imagine that things are doable. I mean, I've, I've got, we had at that time two dogs and sadly, you know, going back to what you said about your cat, I mean, I have to say when the male of our two dogs died um, at the very beginning of this year. That was another moment when I sort of thought, oh God, something really important from my life has gone. But, and sorry, the, and the reason for talking about that was because I suddenly thought, how am I going to go to work and look after the dogs? And how is that all going to happen? And how am I going to be able to cope with everything? And you have to take it one step at a time and you have to accept help when it's offered. And then you begin to realise that, 
actually it is completely possible to, <laughs> to live on your own and to cope with things with the help of friends and family who you, to be completely honest, who you probably in some cases re-engage with in a way that you didn't do when you were a couple and you were dependent on each other. Yeah, definitely. I was going to ask you about friends and family and is there anything they did in particular that was really useful or good at that time? In, in, just in case any friends or family of someone who's going through this now are listening, you know, what can they do or what in your experience did your the people who surrounded you do to make you feel particularly held or loved or supported? Mm. Listen to you, ask you how you're doing. In the case of my sister, who'd also been through a divorce, tell you that you will feel better and you don't believe them <laughs> and they keep telling you it. And in the end, you do feel better. Take you out for fun things because all of a sudden the person that you would have gone out for a drink or a meal with isn't there anymore. So, you know, invite you to things, go with you, be your plus one to things when you haven't got the person who you would usually have have gone with. Um, make you laugh when you think you're never going to. In the case of my niece, send me that Dua Lipa track about new rules uh, in order to <laughs> help me to um, <laughs> tell me to pull myself together. Um, all, all those things, care, I suppose, and offer. And then in the case of you, if you're going through it, accept that help. Don't think to yourself, I can, I've got to do this all on my own. I can't, you know, I've got to, I can't accept any help. People want to help you and to reach out to you. And so accept it. I'm just imagining you dancing around your kitchen to Dua Lipa now. That's my, that's <laughs> the main takeaway. If you're under him, you ain't getting over him. <laughs> It's funny because we've talked about um, songs on the podcast before as a kind of anthem for your divorce. And did <laughs> do you think Dua Lipa is your divorce anthem? Oh my god, I've got so many! I've got so many playlists. So I've got a really sort of sad playlist, which was essentially what I listened to at the point at which I split up. And you know, I, I sort of do believe this thing about. You've got so many tears in you and you might as well just get them out. Don't try not to cry. You know, sometimes just have a good cry, put on your crying music and just go with it. Then I've got to a playlist that is that is called, it's sort of based around Gabrielle's um, song Rise. And it's got all sorts of songs like that on it. And some sort of saddy, sad end of relationship ones, and then some sort of positive ones. Um, I play that playlist. My sons say, oh my God, mum, you're getting divorced. We get it. Do we have to have this playlist on again? And I say, <laughs> shut up. This is my this is my rise playlist and I'm jolly well playing it. <laughs> I love that. I, ha I have a similar playlist for the kitchen, which is like Cher, yeah. RuPaul, Britney yeah. Spears. It's mm -hmm. just like upbeat mm -hmm. joy songs. So I'm interested to talk to you about work during this time mm. because obviously you've done so many amazing things. How did you keep going? 
with the work side of things or did you keep going and Mm. what got you through? Well, not only did I keep going with the work side of things, but the work side of things kept me going, I think. Work has always been a very special part of my life. And I was, at the time, I was chairing a very big NHS trust in Birmingham. I was chairing a children's trust in Sandwell. I was doing my sort of media commentary work and some work overseas. And um, I can remember going into my uh, to the NHS trust where I worked. And actually, you know, I, I was close, obviously, because I was the chair to the CEO, but actually talking to her about what had happened to me and her being immensely supportive, as were the senior people in the other places that I that I worked. And I sort of hummed and hard about whether or not to even say anything. But I was very glad that I did, because apart from anything else, I was a bit of a mess and would sort of tear up in meetings, things like that. But it was their just being there, their understanding, their support, without it being sort of desperately touchy-feely, but just the opportunity to go somewhere, do something with people that made me feel in control of something, that brought me into contact with people, that made, frankly, all of the difference. And I, I don't necessarily recommend this, but I probably only had about two or three days during, in fact, the whole of the last three years um, when I just sort of woke up and thought, I can't face it. I absolutely can't face it. Uh, now, as I say, that worked for me. I, what I would say to people is this is an, this is, you know, this is a heartbreaking time and um, you need to look after yourself. And if you need to have some time off work, you should have some time off work. But it, just for me, it was frankly easier and more soothing to go to work and be absolutely absorbed in that than it was to not. Um, and I consider myself really fortunate to have been able to do that. I had a similar thing. I think I just, la- I was working on a new show in the West End and I just launched myself into all of the work for that show. And I was doing it like six days a week. So I didn't have time to think. Mm. In In hindsight, do you think you should have taken a little bit more time? Was it too much of a distraction? I don't think that I should have taken more time off because that just wouldn't have suited me. But you can't just push your feelings away. You can't just think, I'm just going to, you know, I'm just going to keep busy and it will go away. You have to process those feelings. You sometimes have to work on them. This is part of the reason for the therapy, I think. You have to just go through it. You have to find the places where you are able to just experience and hold what you're feeling and what you're, what you're going through. So I wouldn't have been, you know, if I, supposing I'd said, right, that's it. I'm going to have a sabbatical or something that I, that wouldn't have made me more likely to do that. But other thing, I had to do other things in order to make sure that I did it because you cannot just push it away. Something this big, this significant in your life, you're going, you've got to process it and work at it in some way or another. And I want to talk to you about the tearing up in meetings because mm. I had an occasion where I a song was played during rehearsals for Magic Mike and it was my wedding song. Oh, and I just obviously burst into tears and ran yeah. to the toilet. And 
what was it like for you? Because I'm not used to crying. I'm I'm a comedian. I'm very open about all of my feelings, but I'm not used to crying in front of people. Mm. And I was very aware of this kind of stereotype of the sad divorced woman who just cries and then is bitter and wears leopard print and goes out. And I didn't. I wear leopard I didn't, print. Yeah, I mean, I love leopard print and I love going out. But at the time, I didn't want to be that cliche of exactly. like, oh, you can't get through work without crying. Did you feel the pressure of that? And how did you deal with tearing up in meetings? Yeah. Well, first of all, I think that's why it was important that people around me knew what I was going through. So they didn't just think, oh, my God, what's up with her? They sort of, I mean, you know, I wasn't sobbing. I wasn't sitting there chairing a meeting sort of sobbing. (laughs) Um, And actually, I learned a really, really good tip from my PA who said to me, you know, when you sort of feel that coming on and you think, oh, no, I'm, I'm going, I'm going. If you lift your head up and look at the ceiling, if you look upwards like that, it really, really helps. It works. So probably what my colleagues saw more often than me tearing up in meetings was, was me suddenly looking. They probably thought to my to themselves, what the hell is she looking at the ceiling again for? But that was because she that just really cares about lighting fixtures at the moment. I don't know what it is. Is she checking out the dusting or what? You know, um, it works. I still do it now when I when I sort of tear up. So, um, I mean, you know, I think had I been going into the office and sort of spending all day crying, I probably would have taken some time off. But I don't think it's unreasonable for people to demonstrate that they have feelings whilst they're at work. Yeah, no, definitely. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Life is full of awesome what-ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides health protector guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. It's the ad break. So it's a perfect time to remind you to hit subscribe to be notified about more episodes. You can also leave us a lovely review because honestly, it makes a difference to the chart positions. And one time I was in the charts next to Michelle Obama and I was really thrilled about it. So it'd be nice to do that again. You can also join in the conversation on social media. We're on Twitter and Instagram at DivorcePod. We have a website the divorce social.com 
And you can also join us for our like 90s style divorce chat room experience over on Patreon. So just go to patreon.com forward slash Samantha Baines, B-A-I-N-E-S. And it starts at £2 a month. And we all have lovely and awful and amazing chats. See you there. I, I always talk to people on on the podcast of did they have a particular low moment and mine is crying face down on the slate floor in my kitchen and just looking looking at the little pool of tears. And I was going to say to you, did you have a low moment and do you have a favourite place to cry? Because I'm always on the floor when I'm crying. I had I had quite a few low moments. Um, I think my favourite place to cry is probably sitting on the side of my bed because the times that I feel most like crying are usually first thing in the morning when I get up and you sort of realise, you wake up and you realise what's missing. Then you sit up and then that's the point where you sort of start crying or you've taken a nap. <laughs> you know, I I can highly recommend when you are sad taking naps. You know, another thing my sister said to me is, look, being sad is really tiring. And it absolutely is. So, you know, you, you'd have taken a nap, you'd have woken up and you'd, you, you, you know, you have that awful moment when you just wake up and you don't, you've forgotten that this awful thing's happened to you. And then you remember it and then you sort of sit yourself up and then you have a cry. So I suppose that's my, to the extent that it's my favourite, it's my most regular place for crying. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh dear, the other, the other place, uh, is, I love yoga and the, the yoga class that I go to, we sit down and we have three minutes meditation at the beginning. That moment when you just stop from the things that are all, all around you is the other moment when I absolutely will tear up, you know, to the extent that she just used, she just like automatically puts a box of tissues by where she knows I'm going to be now. Because even now, you know, I will, that will be the moment when it will come over me and I will sort of spend three minutes both meditating, but also with tears falling down my face. And luckily I do this class with friends and my sister and my sister-in-law. They know that that's what I'm good. They're sort of used to it. Oh, she's crying again, right? Whatever, get on with it. Downward dog. And um, <laughs> you don't want a downward dog when you're crying. No, you, no you'd be all dripping on the floor and you know, into your hair. <laughs> By the time we get to the end of that three minutes, I'm sort of ready to go, you know. Um, but that's the other moment, I'm afraid, when I when I cry. I like that three minute allocation. <laughs> It's quite concise, isn't it? Because I can go on for hours if I'm in a wallow and I cry and then you run out of tears, but you keep thinking and being miserable and then you cry a bit more. Yeah. I can, yeah. And then you get really thirsty because you've cried, you, you've lost so much. <laughs> and then uh, sometimes I'm crying for so long that then I forget that I was crying because it's just been going on for ages. And then I find myself like watching TV or reading a book and I'm like, oh, yeah. I forgot. I was crying. I was meant to be sad, but it's fine now. Um, but yeah, sometimes I need something like something to cut it off. Otherwise, it'll just go on all day. 
uh, I normally go for a walk to cut off my crying. And also when you go for a walk and cry, it feels more like a music video. So (laughs) the performer in me enjoys that. Or trains. I live in the Malverns. I live in Malvern where, with the Malvern Hills. In fact, I can look out of the window I'm sitting at now and look at them. So there are, those are lovely walks. And you're right. That's another time, isn't it? When you sort of go for a walk and then you're in a beautiful place looking at a view and it sort of comes over you a bit. Um, that's fine. I mean, good. That's fine, isn't it? That's what nature need to get out. Yeah. That's you... what nature is for, crying. <laughs> crying. Lovely. <laughs> Beautiful well, and, views and of soothing... a crying at. <laughs> and soothing you. What do you do? Yes. I can always remember, was it my, one of my counsellors, I think, who said, you need to find those tactics for self, self-soothing. Not least because otherwise, of course, the temptation is to go back, to sort of try to go back to try to message your ex to sort of, you know, uh, in a slightly desperate way. And um, so therefore, you need to find your other ways of of soothing yourself. Did you have, do you have tactics for self-soothing? Yeah, mine, it, well, it doesn't sound soothing, but mine is distraction. Because mm-hmm. I can get really into I guess it's like me with work or like a project or like if I'm writing a children's book, I get really obsessed with the thing and then I just do it, do it, do it until it's done. Mm. And I'm the same, I guess, with emotions. So I get really into feeling sad and then just keep wallowing. So I distract myself by going for a walk or watching a really great TV show or reading a really great book, normally my three. Mm. But also I... I had well I we had two cats together and I still have one of those cats and now I have a dog a little puppy called Custard Aww. and honestly the dog has got me through a lot I've I've only had her for you know 6 months now but even now she just you know makes me get out of the house every day to take her for a walk you know if I start wallowing and she'll just kind of walk up she's quite small walk up on me and like want me to throw her ball and it just kind of reminds you that there are other th- living things in the world yeah, and I love you um, unconditionally. Yeah, <laughs> unconditionally love you. Um, you know, even when I accidentally trod on her paw when she was tiny and then she was really upset about it and then I cried because I was upset about it. She still loved me. Um, so, yeah, so I think pets as well get me through but also I do need to cry sometimes so I just let myself cry or have a day of doing nothing and that's fine isn't it and you've just got to let yourself do that but you know I've got I think I might possibly have used this whole sadness thing as a desperate excuse for self-indulgence because I um I'll tell you I've bought bought so many scented candles I thought to myself you're feeling sad you've got to get some really expensive stuff to put in the bath so I've done that. I, I agree with you about TV programs as well. You know, I deserve to sit on the sofa and watch. You know, in my case, I just love the more gory murder, the better, actually. So, you know, I deserve to sit on the sofa and watch Silent Witness from the start for as long as I want to. And um, it's helped is all I can say. So find your thing. Well, I am not good with gory murder, 
but I was in Silent Witness and I had to stand over. Yeah. What, what, to, what were well, you? I was in a couple of episodes. It was it was a couple of years ago. Now I'm in like two episodes and I'm a plain clothes detective. <gasps> Can't remember Brilliant. what my name was. But but we had a dead body when we were filming. Well, it wasn't a dead body, obviously. It was an alive woman. But she had to lie in the kind of little zip-up bag. And I had to stand over her and, like, point at, you know, a bruise that she had on her neck. And even that freaked me out because I don't like... I mean, I, th- I I can deal with Silent Witness, but, like, really gory stuff I can't... A horror scares me too much. So I was like, it was really freaky because, obviously, she's acting dead because that's her job. Um, but I was like, oh, this is so weird. What if she suddenly comes to life? And obviously she will because she's alive. But like in the scene, I was very freaked out. This this person was a brilliant actor and she had had lots of other scenes. So she was just lying down right. dead for this one bit. Right. But, um, but yeah, because and they have little merkins and stuff for pubic hair so that they don't have to show their own pubic hair. Like if they're naked on the autopsy table, which I quite like. It's like a little pair of fur pants (laughs) does that make it better if you're wearing some furry pants as opposed to your own oh i'd rather i'd rather wear a little faux um faux muff if we're gonna call it that (laughs) then show my own would you is this the moment (laughs) when we get on to dating i feel like it could be uh pubic hair fashions and dating We have actually discussed that before. Have you? All your hang-ups when you start start dating. Well, just because, you know, I'm I'm still dating at the moment, Mm. sort of on and off. And, um, you know, pubic hair fashions change, don't Mm. they? And then, you know, I date men and women. And so some people have it all shaved off and some people have it really full and other people have a little strip. And I'm like, oh, God, what am I meant to do? Yeah. What was your... um, I don't want to ask you what you have down there unless you want to offer. (laughs) No, but what did you have any worries when Samantha Baines asks politics, politician Jackie Smith, what's in her pants? I'm not going to ask you. Home Secretary Jackie Smith, have you got a Brazilian or not? Answer the question. (laughs) That's the headline, isn't it? No, but did you have any particular worries? of stuff like that when you started dating? Look, I had been married. I had been with my husband for 32 years. I had not had sex with anybody else for 32 years. I hadn't seen, I'm just trying to remember if this is true, you know, I hadn't seen anybody's parts apart from my husband's (laughs) for 32 years. So yes, of course I had worries. Um, and you know, do I? Am I? Have I even been doing it right? How's it going to work? All of that stuff. Um, I've had another relationship since I split up from my husband, although it's now over. And actually, it just, you know, I, I can't say it was like I was what I was when I was sixteen. But I think as long as you go into these things with a sense of as long as you find the right people and you go into it with a sense of sort of care and kindness for each other, it sort of works out. You know, even if the relationship then finishes, you know, during the time that you're in the relationship, it it works out. So, you know, if there are people listening to this who are thinking, I'm never going to 
find somebody else. I'm ever going to have sex again. What what am I going to do? You know, because to be honest, you're young. I'm 58, right? Um, Still young. Thank you. Thank you. Still able to have sex just in case anybody's interested. Um, <laughs> in having sex with you or just interested in whether both, you can have sex? to be honest with you. <laughs> <laughs> Great. <laughs> um, but, you know, you... At that age, you sort of think, oh, God, is that, is that it? Is that, is that me over with now? Well, anyway, in my experience, it isn't. So, um, that's the good news. Yeah, that is good news. Um, it's, it's funny though, isn't it? The world of dating when you're kind of in the public eye a little Mm. bit. And has anyone ever brought up things from your pub? Because obviously there was, the expenses scandal happened and your ex downloaded porno films, mm-hmm. which no, I'm sure many yes. people's exes has. Claimed, or claimed for them on, claimed for them yes. on uh, the broadband uh, bill. Yes. What a joy to receive that. Uh, Indeed. Um, has anyone ever like brought any stuff like that up or like made difficult jokes about your past? Do you know, actually people have been just really lovely. And I mean, part of the reason why I want people to know who I am before I meet them is so that if that is a big problem for them, they've basically, you know, can say, no, no, I'm not interested. So that we don't have to, you know, I don't have to talk about it a lot because I don't much like talking about it, as you can imagine. But actually, what people tend to say to me, and this is really lovely, is that they'll say, look, I'm not going to Google you. I will listen to what you say about yourself and I'll believe that. And, you know, the other thing that the person I was in the relationship said, which I really was very grateful to him for, was, you know, he said, look, I'll I'll believe what you tell me, what not other people tell me, and I won't talk about you in public. And um, that was just lovely. And that's how most people have behaved, actually. And then, you know, obviously, when I get to know people more, I will talk about what I went through, because it is a very, you know, going, being the sort of face of that scandal, and particularly the impact it had on my family, is something that's a very important part of my past. So I will open up about it to people, but I don't want to talk about it on a first date, precisely because it's so difficult. Yeah. Well, it's good that it sounds like you've dated lovely people. I have, actually. I have. Yeah. That's so very lovely. I had an awful date the other day oh, with <laughs> a guy who had quite, I mean, I don't talk about my political opinions on this podcast, but um, it had a differing political opinion to me. And so we started having a bit of a debate and then I thought, this isn't a good idea on a first date. Like, let's just get to know each other. And then he started telling me about how he loves Jordan Peters. Is it Jordan yeah. Peters or Jordan Peterson? Yeah. Peterson, Jordan mm-hmm. Peterson, um, who has spoken out um, uh, lots of people would say in a, a sexist, misogynist way. So I fed that back to my date and he said, um, well, I don't know about that, but he still says some very sensible things. And then I thought, right, well, that's the end of this day. <laughs> like, I can't. And then we'd already, like, first date, have a de- 
uh, uh, political debate uh, and then to go into Jordan Peterson, I was like, this is too far. I can't. I don't even know how we got onto it. So um, I sort of imagine that you'd have that all the time, but it sounds like you have a lovely time. Well, I don't, um, you know, I I want people to understand that I've come, that I come from a political background, but I've never said I can't, you know, I've never said I'll never kiss a Tory. I've never said, uh, you know, you'd have to be exactly in line with my political views in order for me to date you. I mean, if I'm frank, I would find it difficult, I think, to have a relationship with somebody that didn't broadly share my values. And I wouldn't date somebody who I felt was going to be misogynist or racist or who I just, you know, couldn't imagine spending any time with. But I'm not going to, you know, you don't have to sort of tick a I've always voted Labour box in order for me to go out with you by any means at all. <laughs> well, that's good to know. I'm sure a lot of people are like, I mean, okay, bloody hell, I don't you. want to narrow the field too much, do I? <laughs> so, um, any advice for anyone uh, looking to date at the moment? Maybe they're a, a similar age to you because you said you felt like that was the end mm. for you. And then, then it wasn't, which is lovely. So any any words of wisdom? Well, I'm not sure. I mean, you know, given that I'm now single again, I'm not sure I'm the best person. But anyway, um, <laughs> I have had some lovely dates and, I, and I've had a lovely, you know, relationship post my marriage. Uh, my first piece of advice is do it. It's not as scary as you think it's going to be. Um, don't sort of think, oh, well, uh, I can't use a dating app because I'm too old, because trust me, there are loads of people our age on the dating apps and in fact, a lot older. Go into it with a sort of one of the, one of the problems with having been married for so long is that you have to get yourself out of the mindset of thinking, if I meet somebody, it's because I'm going to be marrying them and spending the next 30 years with them. No, it isn't. It's because you're having a cup of coffee and a chat with them. And, you know, my sister, my sister is constant. My friends, even my sons, when I go on a date, they go, Oh, bloody hell, mum, you don't have to marry them. Just, you know, it should be fun. It should be about meeting somebody new. And if it goes somewhere, that's lovely. And if all that happens is you have a lovely, meal or a coffee or a drink or a walk with somebody. That's lovely. And if they're an absolute twat, well, you don't have to see them again. So it's sort of win-win really. <laughs> but then again, perhaps I'm going to meet somebody dreadful the next time I go on a date. <laughs> well, no, I hope not. That's good advice for me as well, actually, good. because I, I keep going on dates and thinking, you know, on the first date, I'm like, well, is this going to be long term? Like what's, what's, you know, um, what's going to happen in the future instead of just having a nice time, um, which is very important. Now, I did want to speak to you about Strictly as well, Ooh. because obviously you were on uh, 2020 uh, Strictly in the UK and you did an amazing job. What was <laughs> doing Strictly like when you're like newly divorced and separated and wearing sequins on the telly? <laughs> Look, that's part of the reason why I did it, to be honest with you, because, you know, I think for any of us who go through a divorce, it feels, you know, it feels and it is the end of something. And as I've already said, you know, at my age, you sort of think, oh, right, well, is that it? Um, 
And I felt I can either just continue to sort of wrap myself up in misery or I can try some new adventures. And I had been on holiday uh, on my own for the first time ever. And then they contacted me from um, Strictly and I thought, yeah, do you know what? Let's go for it. I have never regretted doing that. I absolutely loved it. It was a fantastic adventure. It's very kind of you to say what you said about me, but I did, of course, go out um, uh, at the first opportunity. My argument is that's because there were fewer of us on it because it was a real COVID strictly last year. So I would have lasted a few more weeks if there'd been more people. Um, but I loved it. And it's probably not something that I would have done had I still been married. Uh, so I see it as a fantastic adventure. And, you know, everybody can't go on Strictly, but I think everybody can think about what's the thing now that would be a big adventure for you or something that perhaps you're slightly scared of that you could do. And I would strongly recommend doing it when you decide what that is. So with with all that's happened and all the challenges like Strictly and all the the work achievements that you've made since you um, separated and you've had a new relationship, you've been dating, how do you feel now about divorce and separation and your recovery? I feel... Most of the time, I feel optimistic. I feel proud that I've got this far. I feel excited about the new opportunities that are available to me, you know, not just in terms of relationships, but uh, just being responsible for yourself gives you a certain amount of freedom, liberation. I, I You know, I'm not... Um, starry-eyed about this, I still now will have times when something will remind me of my marriage or my ex-husband and I will be crying again. And I think I'll always, you know, I, I think I will always be like that because it was a very happy marriage and it was an enormous part of my life. But I'm more accepting of the fact that that's the case now. So, you know, as I say, as my sister used to say to me, and I didn't believe her, I will say to people who are sort of in the thick of it, it will get better. Uh, I promise you it will get better. Oh, thank you. It's been so brilliant to chat. I've thoroughly enjoyed it's been it. lovely to talk to you. Where can people find you on social media and things and your podcast? They can find me on Twitter at Jackie underscore Smith one. They can find me on Instagram at Strictly Jackie. Uh, they can listen to our podcast for the many on all good podcast platforms. And it's, uh, if you have trouble, it's a global podcast, so you can get it on Global Player. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Oh, hi. Thank you for listening to The Divorce Social with me, Samantha Baines. Please leave us a review. Please, please. Um, It would be super nice. They're lovely to read. They keep me cheery and happy and keep me going. Uh, But also it affects our listing in the podcast charts, uh, which are very important because that's how more people find the podcast. And I'd love to help more people get through those really tough heartbreak and divorce times. And they're more likely to find us if we're higher up on the charts. So if you'd like to leave a review, I'd love you forever. You can leave them on iTunes is the big one or most podcast platforms do them as well. I'll take all the reviews you've got to give. You can also uh, get in contact on Twitter and Instagram at DivorcePod and at Samantha Baines. We have a website, thedivorcesocial.com and we have a Patreon account, which means that you can support the podcast for as little as £2 a month and it helps me with all the admin costs. It also means you have access to our 90s style divorce and heartbreak chat room and there's lots of exclusives on there, little bits of audio that you don't get in the main podcast and some giveaways as well. So I'd love to see you over on Patreon. That's patreon.com forward slash Samantha Baines and please leave a review. Did I say that already? Please leave a review. Love you forever.